0: Welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast, where we share information to empower you to be your own health hero.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Move Daily Health podcast. I'm Dane Wallace with Freya Spence, and today's guest is Mr. Clifton Harsky, a lifelong athlete and former collegiate basketball player who holds a degree in kinesiology from San Diego State University and has been in the fitness industry for over a decade. Cliff was the first domestic instructor for Move Nat, aka Move Naturally, and currently teaches certifications for animal flow, kettlebell athletics, and pain-free performance certifications in the United States. Outside of teaching, Cliff is also the Director of Programming and National Head Coach for FitWall, a group workout program that incorporates high-intensity interval training with an innovative wall equipment system. Cliff, welcome to the Move Daily Health Podcast. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And I think the first thing we need to ask you is, why is it so cold in California right now? Because we came down here for not cold.
2: That's, That's what it is, is during the winter, we get a lot of people coming from cold climates and bringing crap weather with them. (laughs)
1: So it's our fault. (laughs) It's your fault. You blaming me?
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) That's absolutely fair. Well, you know what? 10 degrees and raining is better than minus 30 and freezing rain. So what we're going to ask you is to tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into this industry to where you are now.
2: So I went to school for kinesiology, aka exercise science. And the reason that I got into it was... As an undersized basketball player, uh, I wanted to give myself a better chance to dunk on people's faces, and uh, the only way to really do that, I, I'm luckily a fairly athletic guy, but to juice it a little bit, both my parents uh, lifted weights and exercised, so I had the interest, and I just wanted to dunk on people. So, that sounds just like my story. That's it, right? Like it was, a, it was a selfish. I wish I could tell you that it was like I want to help people that was not why I got into it. And, and most people in the fitness industry are full of it. If uh, they say they got into it to help people, they got into it for, and, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I mean, I've developed to having that be a added benefit. That's really cool. But the reason I got into it, let's keep it real. Cause I keeps it real is, uh, <laughs> is that I did it selfishly. Like I find it interesting and that's why I got into it.
0: You know what? We, we usually say that all of us have gotten into it selfishly at some point. And then our desire to help others is through that. Yeah. Because we have to have some sort of selfish endeavor within something to be really passionate about learning.
2: Yeah. I I don't buy it when somebody tells me they got it. The only people that I buy that from, they had themselves a giant transformation. Yes. Then they wanted to share that outside, you know, afterwards. I just, you know, I haven't had that transformation personally, so.
1: Yeah, I did it, I did it for the biceps.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's an important piece. <laughs> of the overall picture. I mean, maybe the, maybe the most important. Or abs, one of the two. <laughs> it's very close.
0: <laughs> Nowadays, that's what apparently makes you legit on uh, social media. Very different driver, actually, to our industry now than to when all of us got into it over a decade ago.
2: Yeah. The, uh, the whole Instagram and fitness yeah. thing. It's, int- it's a weird thing. I, I was not in 24 hour fitness or big box gyms for probably six or seven years there with owning your own gyms. You don't tend to go to the gym too often, but I started playing basketball again after a five year break due to surgeries and different things. And the vibe and how everything was behaving, everyone was behaving in the gym was so different than 2000 to 2007 when I was going regularly to big box gyms. I mean, everyone's got their own camera stands in the freaking gym and everyone's doing hip thrusts on every piece of machinery. It's like a hip thrust in the pec deck. How the hell did you even come up with it? It's it's incredible, um, but I mean, it's good. I suppose it's good in that it seems to be creating an awareness of fitness more than there was in the past, but it's makes things challenging from a sales standpoint of what people think is necessary and good uh, because there's a bunch of horseshit out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was great back in the day when I was in the gym and the only thing I had to worry about when I was working out is trying not to break my back lifting. And now I actually have to worry about other people judging me because I'm going to put the video on there and they're going to judge me for breaking my back on a barbell. That's a joke, obviously. Um, (laughs) But can you can you just tell us a little bit more about what you're doing specifically in the industry, especially with uh, Fitwall?
2: So with Fitwall, I, uh, I came on board 2013. So we're coming up on six years and I was offered a job to just teach in one single location. And the dollar amount that they wanted to pay per class was obnoxiously high. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll teach that. I just won't post it on Instagram. Even if I don't agree with it, because at that point I was doing online coaching. I was traveling and teaching certifications. I have my own business, but for $75 per half hour class, I was like, yeah, I'm open to that. Uh, but unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure. I spoke up and said that wasn't a good business model and, uh, shared some ideas that I had for the brand new company on how they should probably go forth with the time of the class, like how to program the classes, how to do certain things, run the organization, and they offered me the job to run the facility. Uh, so I I asked if I can get insurance for me and my girlfriend at the time in full-time status. They said yes. And here we are six years later as an owner of the company. We're about to open our seventh location. Um, so it's kind of cool. You know, seven locations means that we're serving over 2,000 people with, with the programming that I do every month. So I've got a pretty cool stable of clients to test ideas on and see how it works. So to the original question, like what we are doing, we are doing group fitness by the numbers we're 14 to 20 people per class. So that doesn't quite qualify as small group training. It's not quite big group training either. Uh, it's somewhere in no man's land. It actually makes it a harder situation to be in because it's big enough to where people don't give you credit for being small group, but it's small enough that we aren't losing our clients in the shuffle like an Orange Theory or a Fit Body Bootcamp, where you have over 25 to 30 or even sometimes 40 people in a class. So what we are doing at Fit Wall uh, is trying to be the best product available first instead of trying to fit the most people in a class. Uh, We've done a few different things to help us with that, uh, like develop our own software that plays videos, that syncs the music to the workout, that actually serves as a second coach in the class to allow us to handle more people with the hands-on approach that you would get with six to eight people in a class. And you guys just took a class.
0: I was going to say, I actually, uh, I don't know how many people were in the class, <laughs> now that I think about it, but it was evident that there was coaching throughout the entire class. That was very evident. It was also very evident how scalable each movement was. So even though a bunch of us in the class were clearly different fitness levels, some people have been here a lot. I mean, this is our first time trying it. It was very easy to pick up. It was also very easy to scale. And we love to see that because... That just shows that you can address a wide population of people. You don't have to feel like you're in this higher echelon of movers in order to take a class. It makes it far more approachable and accessible from a community standpoint. Um, also, it was really fun. We've done two of your class, like two of your class styles. One, this was our first one using the actual fit wall equipment, and I'm not gonna lie, it was really fun.
1: Yeah, it was great. And, and the thing with group fitness, I've found over the years, is like it can turn into a yard sale really easy. Like it's just people doing things where they're going to hurt themselves if they do that repetitive movement with that form over and over and over and the coaching's just not there. So it was really cool to come into this class and see that, A, just with the wall itself, like it was super fun, a lot of different things you could do, but Amy coached it super well. It was really, and with the video up there, it was super intuitive. If I didn't hear what she said, I could just look at my little screen. I'd be like, oh, okay. That's what we're doing now. Awesome. So it had that extra layer in there of movement quality, which you don't necessarily get, like you said, with those large group classes. And I think that that's a really important thing. And I think you posted the other day online that the most important uh, thing for programming is that you make it fun and safe for clients.
2: Definitely. We, you know, as far as group fitness goes, it's a lot of the uh, jerk face, strength and conditioning, self-titled people within the fitness industry. They give themselves the title of, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. And I'm like, no, you work with normal people. If you work with paid athletes, I'll give you the status of a strength and conditioning coach, but if they're not getting paid, then you're just trying to give yourself more status on and make yourself feel fine. And that, and that's cool. Like we all want to make what we do feel important, but in all reality, we're, we're fitness instructors to general population. And the, the subset of fitness that serves the most people with being shown what to do in fitness is group fitness. It's not personal training. So the group that's having the biggest impact by numbers of people and their fitness, are group fitness instructors. So I went about the way that I look at this is, Hey, I have the potential to affect more lives than one person that is on their high horse about how they program for individuals that it's true. You can write a better program on an individual basis. Anyone that argues that is just wrong, but it doesn't mean that group programming can't be very good. I, I said something the other day to, I don't, I don't think it's that smart, but it's um, maybe a little, maybe it's clever, maybe it's funny, I don't know, where we are all individual snowflakes, but we're all snowflakes. So <laughs> at the end of the day, we're all snowflakes, and we all need to do certain things. Within that, we can tweak a little bit. And that's how we approach what we do at Fitwall, And I think that's how everybody within any group, be it semi-private or large group should go about things is, Hey, we all have certain things that we need to do. So let's do those. Let's do them well. And let's tweak as needed to your point about the Facebook. uh, There's two reasons people stop exercise, two primary reasons. They either get hurt. So that's keep it safe or they get bored and that's keep it fun and entertaining and Again, this, the jerk store strength conditioning people will say, "Well, nobody gets bored with results," and I'm like, "No, they do. They really do. I like. They don't care that much, though. They put 10 pounds on their bench press in in a little bit. They don't care. They don't care. They just want to. They want to be entertained. That's why most people have multiple memberships. But and again, they don't get
1: sick of results. I mean." results are slow like even if you're achieving weight loss or you're getting strong unless you're a newbie who just started doing something a month ago you're not getting results quickly so that holding on to results thing is that wanes really quickly so it's super important that you keep things fun
0: and it's also about um to to that point the environment that you create Um, like the community that you create around it that's half the fun I mean the exercise prescription is part of it but part of what motivates people to keep coming is the connection that they create with the group and with the coaches and just knowing that for those 40 minutes they can come in kind of tune out listen to music be coached along the way have other people who are like minded going through the same thing and then walk off and enjoy their day thereafter so it's those sort of pieces like community that people I think often forget, especially the one-on-one coaches and we're one-on-one coaches, but we don't discourage clients from going into group fitness because that's a community piece that maybe if they're sitting in an office all day, they're just not getting, and we want we more social creatures. We want them seeking out community. It also keeps people up with the habit.
2: Yeah. The, a, a big piece that I've seen with our primary demographic, is a 33 to 55 year old lady, mm-hmm. uh, typically moms, That that's just the neighborhoods that we've been in. What we see is that people just want acknowledgement. They just wanna be acknowledged for, by other human beings. That's the mm-hmm. community piece. And that's, uh, that's what, there's an opportunity whether you're a one-on-one trainer, because we offer one-on-one stuff um, as well, but that's the, the biggest opportunity is to make those interpersonal connections and set up an, uh, a place, you know, the third place, potentially be the third place for people to make new friends in a weird time where it doesn't seem like there's actual friendships and social interactions outside of technology uh, happening on a regular accord. It's, it's very weird being an adult and having to make new friends.
0: Yes, especially in new places.
1: Yeah, and, and that also goes to explain the, the social media stuff that we see. People want acknowledgement, right? So if they're not getting it, that interpersonal connection, if they're not in group classes, they don't have you know group people to work out with, they're going to the gym solo, putting up that camera, throwing it on Instagram, trying to get all those likes. So they're getting that feedback somewhere else in a different way that's not necessarily the way that we've evolved as humans. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's a cheap thrill.
0: Yeah, neurologically, we're not wired to like get you know affirmation and connection through technology, but that is, in fact, what in large part we're doing nowadays. Um, on the topic of of programming, though, you're not dogmatic on fitness principles. This much we know. We know there's a, we try, we strive not to be dogmatic either because we know there's always a time and place for everything. When you're programming for a group, that's challenging, far more challenging than programming for one individual in front of you that has specific restrictions, specific ambitions, because you need to make sure that everything you've chosen is one that will be fun and safe and serve their purposes, not necessarily knowing who's coming into class that day um, or next month. So how do you base your programs? How do you make choices, generally speaking, in terms of your programs to ensure that they are fun and safe and then scalable?
2: Cool. So we set up, uh, at the beginning, a nice framework, like here's the puzzle, uh, that we're going to fill in every single week. So we run a three week exercise block where in the days of the week, every day of the week is a different full body workout. Every session we run is 40 minutes within that week, the beginning of the week, Monday, Tuesday, those are the most attended group fitness days of the week. So those are the most important days for me to put strength work. So Monday and Tuesday is strength emphasis, big compound lifts as heavy as people can do safely Wednesday, Thursday, that's more of our interval base class. So we're going to be going back and forth between quote unquote, functional training exercises, and then harder efforts. We call them sprints. you are not actually sprinting up and down the room. You're just going hard and safe. Uh, Friday, Saturday is where we put our endurance emphasis for salesmanship. We call it the cardio days because you're going to be sweatier and your heart rate's going to be a little bit higher. And people want to feel cardio and people are trained to think that's important. And it can be um, from a physique change and and effects and safety. Maybe maybe it's not the most important thing, but it is what people believe. Um, So it's important to tickle that itch for them. And then on Sunday is our mobility and core day. It's a little bonus day. So then we repeat that, uh, that seven series, those seven workouts for three weeks with the goal being that people do get better week to week, that they increase their control, increase their range, increase their weight, increase their repetitions, whatever that uh, workout calls for. Then the next three-week block comes up. So that's the first piece of our programming is making sure that we have some repeatability so that people can improve over time. So even though I say it's supposed to be fun and safe, we also happen to get people pretty damn fit. <laughs> it's, it's not an either or situation. Like a lot of people seem to think it's either or. No big deal. Yeah, I mean, no big deal. Like we got people that accidentally get their pull-ups and-
0: Accidentally, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you
2: know. So after we have this, the weekly split set, then we look at a per class basis. Per class, we have nine elements pretty standard stuff, hinge, squat, single leg, push, pull, resist movement through the trunk, create movement through the trunk, quadruped movement-based stuff, looks like animal flow, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then hanging, and hanging um, is, I look at it as almost like distraction at the shoulder, so it could be be weighted carries as well, Um, but for us, since we have the fit wall, in all reality, hang got put in that because we have a fit wall. (laughs) <laughs> and you are going to be up hanging on it.
0: Hey, grip strength is one of the key indicators of longevity. So there you go.
2: Yeah, and and it's I like the feedback that grip strength gives me. Like today, I could tell I was not having a good strength day cuz my grip was getting tired immediately. Uh so
0: well, I'm not going to lie by that halfway through my hands were sliding off that one railing. I was like, "Okay, well, I'm either really sweaty or really weak, but stuff's happening either way." <laughs>
2: So we, we use those nine elements, and every workout we will use all nine of those elements. Within those nine elements, then we have some principal ratios that I like to look at. We're going to pull at least twice as much as we push, just typically because most people are going to come to us having done the opposite in their past. Um, we're going to pull twice as much horizontally as vertically. We're going to push at least twice, if not three times as much horizontally horizontally then vertically. And the reason that we do those things are our number one injury that comes to us. And we've kind of developed a little bit of a niche in the communities as the place that can take care of people that are hurt um, simply because we're organized and have a plan with what we're going to do. Shoulders are number one. Shoulders are the number one problem that we have coming into us. After that, it's like a tie between knees and back, and then it's wrists. And so if I keep most people from going overhead. It's not the It's not the pinnacle thing like doing it. It's cool to do a pull up. It's cool to push things overhead. It's not cool to have shoulder pain. So instead we just do the other items. So that's our daily exercise needs and some basic ratios there. We will prioritize single leg stuff because it makes people feel more confident in moving throughout the day. Like they're not going to fall over. Um, also, in our group room, the heaviest weights we have at each station is 35 pounds. And we're going to max out our bilateral strength capacity pretty quickly with just 35 pounds. But on a single leg, you know, Dane's pretty strong. 35s probably worked, did the job today. I used 25s at one point point yeah. that's it. And you know, like we just don't necessarily need to be thinking everybody needs to lift double body weight, single body weight even. You can get a, a great workout with f- significant strength and fitness improvements at lesser weight through just body weight bands and other tools. So that's, that's how we set up our programming. Every three weeks, we look through the, the library of 500 exercises in our video library and we go, Hey, what have we not done in a little while? And now a rookie ear will hear, oh, that's too many exercises. How many of them are useless? And it's just micro adjustments. So instead of today, you guys did a single leg deadlift with your rear foot on a slider, which makes it easier to keep your hips level, right? So you, you get less external rotation on that base hip. So you're able to access the adductor and medial hamstrings better in that single leg deadlift next block. We might do a bilateral deadlift this day we might do a sumo we might do sumo straight leg we might do conventional we might do stiff leg conventional uh we will do a hinge every single damn day we just tweak it a little bit so when people hear that we have 500 exercises they're just micro adjustments how you load it one side or the other you know there's, there's a lot of ways to progress people Absolutely
0: and i actually like that you touched on the the topic of not needing to be like double body weight stuff cuz i've actually admitted to the fact that when i first got into the industry that was the overriding principle if you want to be a good coach you must hit this this and this and it's like who decided that doing a front squat at twice my body weight or a deadlift at three times my body weight was what qualified me as a better human being so with that in mind, with your population that comes in here, what are some of the common beliefs that they come in with in terms of what constitutes adequate strength or adequate fitness? Because that's very individualized. Like in my head, it, from coming from a bodyweight athlete into the strength world, I was like, oh, okay, well, you told me I need to build up to a 300-pound deadlift. Cool, then I guess that's what I better do. And it wasn't until through a lot of practice realized that that was – Um, a little bit of BS because I wasn't competing as a powerlifter and it was completely unnecessary but we all have those belief systems somewhere and when you're working with a group that's a very different sort of environment to try and suss out what someone's belief is and then try to coach them around what's necessary versus what's not
2: so our our biggest barrier that we see in our space. And, and the way that I describe us is that we sit in what I call pop fitness. So that's Orange Theory, that's Barry's Boot Camp, that's Fitbody Body Boot, any type of boot camp. Um, that's Legree Pilates classes, that's, that's Yoga Core Power, Yoga Six, uh, some of these other places that are just SoulCycle, Flywheel, all of these places that are very popular uh, they're in strip malls, they're easy access, they're a little bit higher priced than what you would see at a big box gym, but they are mainstream pop fitness. So those are our clients for the most part. The general problem we run into is that they show up still thinking that the end all be all is sweating their ass off and having as many calories burned and as high an effort as possible. Now, that problem is is perpetuated by a lot of, uh, what is big right now, which is adding technology to the classes to show you your effort points, your splat points, your maps, your all the different things that basically reward people for sweat for more higher heart rate. So higher heart rate for longer. I said that pretty poorly there a second ago, uh, (laughs) higher heart rate for longer is equated to a better workout. and you know, on the surface level, I can understand psychologically why that makes sense, emotionally and psychologically, why that makes sense to people. But we also know physiologically that that is an unsustainable thing that's not going to actually create better change. Um, we describe it here as saying, that's just gonna make you sloppy cardio by the by the 12th minute. Sooner, yeah. And so that's, so we steer away from that. So that's our number one barrier, is that people um, want to prioritize go, 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 go the entire time. Number two, there's still, and it's better now than it ever has been. There's the, we're 75% lady clientele. There's still the thought that if I lift heavy, that I will get bulky. And that's unfortunately perpetuated by most yoga and Pilates studios and bar studios that use predatory marketing tactics to tell ladies that if they lift heavy, they will get bulky or they will just imply it by saying things like, we use lightweight so that you develop long lean muscles. And I call it predatory marketing because it preys on, um, you know, uh, issues, uh, body image issues that ladies have that I'll never fully be able to understand, but I think it's bullshit. And we just don't do that. Yeah.
1: And, and I, 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 we already mentioned this once in the podcast, the results thing, and how hard it is to gain strength or put on bulky muscle. It is incredibly hard and difficult for the vast majority of people women or men to do so like I, I always say to people who are worried about that it's like saying you're gonna go shoot hoops for an hour and then go join the NBA yeah it's it does not work that way
2: yeah and so it's it's an interesting one uh, you know when we started five years five and a half years ago, we were pretty uh, we, we overshot with our being adamant to tell people that they're wrong with their perceived now, I just let them, I'm like, yeah, cool. Use the lighter one, and then we just subtly and politely edge them to heavier over time via peer pressure, and pointing at the other ladies in the room they're like, that are, by standards, the leanest and and maybe the most desirable figure that people are looking for, and they also happen to be using the biggest dumbbells. And we're like, that's how they got there. The biggest dumbbell. Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. So we we just take a a more subtle and long term approach with them now. And it works better. I mean, it shouldn't be It's just, you know, being a younger coach, you don't know better. And we were trying to take a stand and be like, yes, this is what's right. We're going to be in your face about it. And it turns out you just sound like a jerk.
0: Uh, yeah, I think as a younger coach, we often, um, especially if we come from an athletic background, it's hard to understand the emotional attachment that people have developed in some of those ideas in terms of you know bulk or whatever else it is or maybe they were made fun of for being bulky and then that's in the back of their head and as a younger coach we just don't we haven't had the experience yet to figure out that like oh right yep no not everybody has had the same background and upbringing and this environment isn't necessarily an inherently safe one for them so as a more experienced coach we just learn to create that safety for them and then those beliefs can kind of go out with the wash naturally as their safety and um, belief towards like other ideas like, Oh, I won't get bulky. I will feel stronger and so on just develops naturally.
1: And I I just like to give a a takeaway to any of the listeners here, you know, to get bulky, what you need to do is eat more food. Mm -hmm. If you're not eating an excess amount of calories, you are not going to put on fat or muscle or extra bone or hair or whatever you think is going to make you weigh more. You need, exactly, Cliff's uh, stroking his massive mane of hair right now. He uh, does not have a massive mane of hair. just going to point that out there. Um, But yeah, you need to eat a lot of food to gain weight. It doesn't matter if you're lifting heavy, you're lifting light weights, you're jogging, you're doing whatever. You're not going to gain mass of any sort unless you're in a chloroposite. So if bulkiness is what you're worried about, just watch your diet. That's the key. Yeah,
2: and, and I actually think it's pronounced yogging.
1: Ah, yes, down here in San Diego, yeah. yaging. Yaging. It's a, it's a, it's a soft J.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's cardio. They think they need to do more and and work harder, longer. We're trying to take care of them for the long term, uh, based on the whole. Hey, results don't happen overnight. I need you long term. Let's let's do it safely. Let's ramp you safely. It's people thinking that they're going to get, ladies specifically, thinking they're going to get bulky. But like I said, it is better now than it ever has been. Even Shape, yeah. even Women's Health is starting to print articles talking about the benefits of lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ben Bruno. And, uh, <laughs> and then the, the, the final thing is, you know, we, we try to make this a very movement-based exercise program to where we are getting outside of your bilateral stance we're getting outside of, of the typical exercise uh, prescriptions and that can be intimidating to people that have not asked their bodies to do athletic things in the last couple decades so they, they will look they will see people doing it and they will immediately say I cannot do that or worse yet Uh, Most people over 30 have had some sort of orthopedic thing happen to them in life, and they've probably had some sort of doctor or chiropractor or another uh, movement practitioner tell them that they cannot do those things because it's unsafe. So we have to undo a lot of these ideas that, hey, trying to be an athletic human is inherently unsafe, and and it's just not. Like More unsafe is to be sedentary and not do stuff.
1: Again, I just want to give the listeners a little bit of a takeaway here. Um, It'd be awesome if we had a fit wall in Toronto and we could just say, hey, if you look for group training and you want something where the coaches are going to be great, just pop on down to fit wall and get some great coaching. Um, But fortunately, no fit wall in Toronto, Cliff. Not yet. I'm working on it. All right. All right. We'll chat. Um, But for anybody out there who does enjoy group fitness, they like the environment, Is there anything, any advice you can give them about what they want to look for in a group training class to make sure they get the most out of, or any red flags that should be like, oh, maybe this isn't, you
2: know, a place where I should be? Yes, so I think that one of the first things you should look at is what is the capacity? If it's over 20 people, there's just not a physical way for a coach to give you a lot of actual feedback. That's not the coach's fault, that's the program's fault. That is, you know, people will get down on coaches of uh facilities that have 30 people in a class and it doesn't make sense because it's not the coach that picked that business model they're just doing what they're asked to do so i would be looking for under 20 under 10 if you really want to get coached i would be looking at do they have some semblance of an idea of how they set up their week and month do they have like hey it's upper body monday lower body tuesday they at least have a damn plan Right. I don't actually care too much what the plan is, but do they have one? If it's just the coaches making it up as they go every single class, like then I'm not cool with it.
0: I need to I need to say that that goes for all coaches. All coaches. Because we see that in group training, we see that one on one where clients will come in and the coach is like, Cool, so uh, what did we do last day? Okay, well what do you feel like today? That is not a professional. You have not hired a professional. So we second that on the one-on-one side of things for sure, is that having a plan is, the plan can be changed. Yeah. It can totally be changed, but it has to be there. There has to be some some process to it, a framework. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Go on.
2: Those would be my principle two. And then the third becomes a a very personal thing. Like, what do you want to do? If you want to zoom, like I said this years ago, and I still stand by it. I'm not a I'm not particularly fond of the idea that it's pushed as an as an exercise program. However, if you won't do an exercise program, but you will do Zumba seven days a week, you should go Zumba your ass off. Because you'll Zumba seven days a week, but you'll give up on exercise after two to four weeks. So go Zumba because you're gonna do it. Whatever you do do is better than what you won't do. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Zumba, what does your training look like? Zumba. <laughs> yeah, Zumba. It's, uh, it's weighted hula hoops, and I put uh, wrist weights on my wrist as I do, like, belly dancing stuff. Now, my training actually looks, by default, so uh, to give you an idea of, like, how, how serious we take our programming, even though we say it's all about fun, um, we test our seven workouts two weeks before we launch them. And we do that for a couple of reasons. We wanna make sure that the transitions are smooth so that people aren't getting up and down off the floor or running into weights or running into their own equipment uh, because we are in a 40-minute condensed class. So I don't wanna have any wasted time with uh, tool utilization problems. Mm -hmm. It needs to feel smooth. This is an experience, it's not just about the workout itself. So we test to make it smooth. We test to make sure that we're not accidentally going to kill somebody. Um, sometimes you write things out and then you do it. You're like, that was significantly harder than I thought it was going to be.
0: I have definitely done that more times than I care to count. I'm like, okay, no one's getting that one.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, conversely, you might get through and be like, hey, I got I to gotta take into consideration my typical client. If I did this workout and I found it to be easy and I was pushing the weight, That means it's going to be extraordinarily easy for most of my clients who don't inherently pick up heavy weights, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to try to put our client hat on and and as as another example today, we went through and our shortest sprint effort was 40 seconds, which is 10 seconds longer than I would like our sprints to be on a Mm -hmm. scientific basis. The heart, the longest I would like for us on paper to be pushing at our max effort is 30 seconds. After that, you're not pushing all that hard, but that's for the three of us for my clients, I don't actually want them pushing at 95 to hundred percent effort because they can't do that safely. So that means they're going to be pushing at maybe 80 or 85%. Most people have a governor on their system because they don't trust their body and that's for the best. So that means if they only push for 30 seconds at that level, they'll get done with the set and they'll be like, that's it? I feel like I need to go harder. So I have to give them the opportunity to get the feel of the burn, to get the feel of accomplishment, and that looks like 40 to 60 seconds. That's why I quit early because I can actually push harder and create more disturbance within my, my physiology that I need to rest. That or I'm just lazy and a quitter. It's definitely the latter. Yeah.
0: I, I feel better about like the changing from all the little hops and jumps for the last 10 seconds to steps because my body was like, and we can't coordinate this, coordinate this anymore, we're done.
1: <laughs> my body clearly has a governor because I was just going. <laughs> You're just a machine, bro.
2: That's, that's what it was.
0: <laughs> You've got the governor, got it. <laughs> So much of your training, I mean, you're traveling a ton, you also have a family, you're managing commuting to different gyms, much of your training you're saying is a lot of the trial and error around some of these, uh, workout plans.
2: Because we launch a new workout program every three weeks. I know that every third week I'm going to have a miniature overtraining week or overreaching week because I'm going to test all seven in about an eight day period. So, you know, seven 40 minute quasi-hard workouts in eight days is quite a bit of work. Um, so that that's one week. Then the next two weeks I'll probably do two or three fit wall workouts within that time frame and then one to three weight training sessions uh, in our in our semi-private private training room. and that's where I'll lift heavier weights. Um, not as heavy as, as once upon a time, but you know, a, a couple, yeah, at least a 100 pound deadlift or something like that. And, (laughs) and then on top of that, um, I will do, I will do a little bit of dedicated loaded or unloaded mobility work that usually looks like animal flow or, uh, things while I'm watching basketball late at night. And that, and that's what my training looks like.
1: Nice. So you watch basketball
2: late at night. You don't always watch. It's always sunny. I don't always watch. It's always sunny. I save that for my flights. Because I've got them all on my phone. And so I just watch them on the flights. And since I fly with enough regularity, uh, that allows me to make sure that I'm watching things for the 8th, ninth, 20th time. (laughs) So
1: have you ever watched The Gang Beats Boggs on a flight? I don't
2: think I have. That's crazy talk, man. It's crazy talk. But can you watch it? On the flight and not actually try to participate at the same time. Well, see, that's the thing. So, a couple of buddies of
1: mine, we have a, a, a baseball trip we do at Wrigley Field every summer. And so, we'll fly the hour and 15 minute flight from Toronto to Chicago and we'll put on the Gang Beats Bogs and there's free beers on that flight too. And we're always like, oh, we're going to drink a million beers. And, but they'll give you like one and then be like, yeah, we're almost,
2: we're going to be descending soon. So, we, we we've tried. It's very difficult. Yeah. That's tough. I think maybe next time show them the episode and they'll maybe they'll get it more better. Maybe they'll get it more better. Yeah. So <laughs> if you if you take one thing away from this episode, it's to start on season 1 and watch them chronologically. All I think is it 13 seasons now? I don't know, but it is very important for your health. It's going to make a difference in your life
0: if you do mobility work while you're watching it, that's what will make a difference in your health.
1: (laughs) And, And Freya will attest anytime I do
2: put on, you know, it's always sunny or something, I'm typically doing mobility work. Yeah, I did just see a study that said that zoning out and watching television show is almost the same amount of benefits as mindfulness practice.
0: That's frightening. So, there you go. There you go. Um, speaking of inspiration, that's really bad research. <laughs> speaking of, of inspiration, you're both clearly inspired by that. Outside of TV shows, <laughs> is there anything in your career over the last 12 years that has really inspired you to shift the way you think or the, the approaches you've taken?
2: Yeah, it's the it's the getting older thing. you know it's uh, it's so funny when you uh, pretty much everybody that everybody that is in their 20s will at some point chase strength. If you're in the industry at some point, you'll get caught up in the chase strength bug. Uh, the whole entire industry from 2010 to 2015, I want to say really swung in that the pendulum swung in the starting strength ripito, Let's like, oh, just squat heavy. That's all you, actually all you need to do is like deadlift and squat and maybe press every so often, and that's a complete program. And the, the, a lot of the industry is slowing that way, and a lot of the industry then got hurt. Now, maybe they don't make – maybe there's nothing there. Maybe it's just a correlation, not causation thing. But in listening to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over 30 years old that have said to 20-year-olds, don't always go heavy because you will get hurt. And then every 20 year old that turns 30 end up going, hey, turns out those guys were right. Like we're, we're seeing this recycled every decade. So uh, yeah, I, I would say that's the big thing is that training for longevity uh, should trump your training for ego. Uh, if you're getting paid for performance, throw that advice out the window. But if you ain't getting paid, unless you're, it's, unless it's bringing you a ton of joy, then I would, I would be recommending not doing it. Uh, If it brings you a ton of joy, go for it. Knock yourself out. You're only young once. Like I don't, I don't regret getting hurt on some of the things. You know, I got a cool like video out of it or something, but you know, now I've got a couple more decades of, you know, painful knee situation ahead of me.
0: Yeah. It's a, Interesting that you say that because I think out of all the coaches that we've had on our podcast so far, everybody has said that a peak moment and we're all over 30, (laughs) some of us more so, um, all of them said that an injury is what kind of knocked them into like, wait, what am I really doing here? Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of crummy because I think back and I think back to even things that I did at 25 and that I technically got away with and have no idea how I got away with them. But if somebody in their 30s had come to me and said, you shouldn't be doing this because this X, Y, and Z will happen, I'm not really sure I would have bought in because I didn't feel bad at the time. <laughs> so as, as crappy as it is to say we try to mitigate injuries in all of our clients, it, like that is our, our main goal always when coaching but the sad thing is many clients arrive on our doorstep because they got hurt largely from um as you coined it ego lifting and unfortunately that's where it goes from a thing of joy we all had fun lifting heavy as in our 20s into something of just like well i feel shitty but i'm still doing this cuz i don't know what else to do
2: yeah and sometimes it takes more than one instance <laughs> <laughs> to learn your lesson.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs>
2: you might end up, I don't know. I know I might know one person on the podcast here holding the mic in front of my face with my right hand that's had three surgeries as a result of ego-driven decision making.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I've been in the strongman industry, right? Like I have man, the number of people I can count where it's just like Yeah, I tore my bicep, and then a year later, I tore my bicep again, and then two years later, I tore my bicep again, and it's like, um, at some point, you might want to think about changing your pattern. Yep.
0: I had um, a practitioner tell me about 10 years ago that injuries didn't happen out of the blue, and at the time, I was, we were discussing something that wasn't an acute thing, like, you know, you just fell and... Or, or got hit by something like in a tackle, that makes more sense. But they were saying, no, there's always a path to it. And at the time, I was kind of like, I can't think of anything I had done. I couldn't pinpoint one thing. And what people often forget, and what we all forget, is like, wasn't that one thing. It was those 20 things, or maybe those 2,000 things. And then finally, your body was like, dude, you're not listening. So here you go. I'm going to give you an even bigger stimulus to listen to in the form of a full-blown injury. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes it is those three tears to the whatever tendon that get people to listen and other times not. But again, that that goes full circle back to your point about beliefs that people walk in with. We're not here to tackle someone's beliefs and, and tell them that they're wrong because they're not wrong. It's their belief is based on their experience and their behaviors. It's more about showing them a safe way to find something else.
1: Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I'm living testament to the fact that had the knee injury, and I was like, well, that was a big eye-opener for me and just changed my patterns and still continued to compete in strongman. man. Just, I would argue, I did it in a more responsible way. Hired a coach who could help me with my movement patterns, maintain my strength, just started doing things in a different way that was more respectful of my body. So this isn't to say that you've got to stop everything, you can't do anything you like doing. It's just, you know, respect your body a little bit and you're going to feel a hell of a lot better as you get older. <laughs> yeah. So with that, Cliff, we have a few follow-up uh, questions here. At the end, we'd like to ask all of our listeners: What is the most guests, listeners, listeners, guests, same thing? One of the same. So, what is the most impactful book you've read over the past year?
2: Most impactful book that I read over the last year, uh, probably the book *Persuasion*. Robert Cialdini. Cialdini. Oh, he he wrote *Influence*. Okay, so *Influence* is like a is well regarded as very important for sales. *Persuasion* is his follow-up book. Okay. And it talks about laying the framework before you persuade somebody. Right, You're oh, pre-suading. So it's a, it's a really cool book.
0: Interesting. We'll have to look that one up because that's not one that we're familiar with, but we'll link it in and look it up ourselves because we're perpetually looking for new book ideas. What is your non-negotiable self-care tool
2: on a daily basis? I would, is coffee an answer? There's antioxidants in coffee. <laughs> Caffeine is good for uh, metabolic rate. So I would say that's probably pretty good. Like being lean's good, I think, for health. <laughs> uh, so it's either coffee or, man, everything changes. I, I, the most cliche thing I could say is everything changed when you have a kid. And like, I just set a PR in the last year and a half of four nights in a row with not being woken up once or twice in the middle of the night
1: congratulations
2: thanks it's, it's nice it's nice to be here uh i it's weird being cogni cognitively see i can't say words <laughs> brain no work so see? good <laughs> i'm yeah cognizant. i'm still i'm still catching up from a year of uh not getting sleep so i, w- I generally would say sleep um, i'm good at sleep um, I'm just not good at it when you have a baby yelling at you multiple times throughout the night. Yes, and sleep is one of those key things
1: we know we need to be cogn- cognitive, more smarter, more, <laughs> more, more better brain work. Yeah, more better brain um, work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if you had, so just we've discussed a, a, a lot of stuff here about, you know, helping people with their health and that nature of things. So if you had five minutes with someone, what's one thing you could try and impart to help them with their well-being? So especially, let's say, if they're over 30 or if they're a younger buck and you want to pass on some
2: information. I would really be asking them what it is that they've enjoyed in the past and what they miss doing. And maybe that gives them what it is they should be doing. Maybe it's they, they say yoga. Maybe they say it's spin. I don't really care what it is. Or maybe they say it's tennis, and then I – can go into all right well what does it look like for us to get you back to playing tennis what steps would we have to take maybe it's this exercise routine for two months then you can get back on the court so finding out what it is that they want to do what they miss uh, that would give them meaning for exercise uh, because not everybody exercise is not meaning enough in and of itself Mm -hmm.
1: that's awesome so it's uh it's nice to do a remote podcast we're right here live in solana beach california um where actually we do have blue sky today but it uh you guys have had been some flooding down here <laughs> yeah wouldn't, we don't it's know what to really do really crazy to come down here and see that weather but frankly man just thank you so much for carving out a few minutes for us today i think this we've got a lot of nice uh nice points for our listeners back home so thank you so much
2: for giving us that time and uh where can people find you cliff Oh, uh, at Clifton Harsky, C-L-I-F-T-O-N-H-A-R-S-K-I. Um, and it's just at Clifton Harsky on Instagram. I don't do anything on Twitter. And all I really do is make fun of my wife on Instagram anyway. so, <laughs> <laughs> And if she was in the room right now, she would be laughing at that.
0: <laughs> Cliff's wife. We'll have to have her on at some point. Is this super humble and amazing athlete? Like she just had a baby and there she is doing ninja training. She's incredible.
1: Yeah, she's. Is she going to be famous? She's going to be on uh, American Ninja Warrior.
2: We have to see. Like we we submitted a tape and you know they get thousands, tens of thousands of submittals. So we'll see what happens. I have no idea.
1: Yeah, so so Cliff is a former collegiate basketball player, and he doesn't play basketball anymore or do anything athletic. And his wife is in the backyard doing Ninja Warrior. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, <laughs> it's discouraging.
1: <laughs> Husband of the year, folks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Cliff. Wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. All right, thank you so much, my friend. This has been a great episode, and uh, everybody, we're signing off for the Move Daily Health Podcast. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. To hear more, head on over to Stitcher or iTunes and subscribe to the Move Daily Health Podcast. And don't hesitate to leave us a review. Thanks for listening.